Ashling's UN Insight, a weekly look at the work of the United Nations. Welcome to Ashling's UN Insights. Having recently returned from an internship at the United Nations headquarters in New York, and with my family growing weary of my constant yammering on about it, I've decided to pass on what I learnt to you lovely listeners. There is a lot more to the United Nations than what gets reported on in the mainstream news, which tends to focus on Security Council meetings, or in the past few months, the World Health Organization. At a time when mainstream news is very much consumed by one topic, my hope is that this weekly report will cast a slightly wider and very much international net, and hopefully you'll learn something interesting too. Now, more than ever, we are global citizens, and so my hope is that this weekly report will make you feel more connected to the wider world and empowered towards making it a better place for everyone. Each week, I'll take you through one sustainable development goal, more on those in a moment, one interesting UN department, any international days that have happened that week, and I'll briefly go over a few interesting things that have been discussed at the UN that week. Since this is the first episode, let me fill you in on some information about the United Nations. Inspired by the failed League of Nations, the United Nations was founded by 51 countries in 1945 after the Second World War. It currently has 193 member states and declares its four main purposes to be as follows. To keep peace throughout the world, to develop friendly relations among nations, to help nations work together to improve the lives of poor people, to conquer hunger, disease and illiteracy, and to encourage respect for each other's rights and freedoms, and to be a centre for harmonising the actions of nations to achieve these goals. The UN is divided into different bodies which enable it to cover a vast array of topics. All 193 member states are represented in the General Assembly, which is the main policy-making body of the UN, and where votes take place on decisions the organisation makes. The Security Council, on the other hand, deals with issues of international security and peace, and is made up of 15 member states, with 10 of these being elected for two-year terms by the General Assembly, and the other five being permanent members, which are China, the United States, France, the UK and Russia. These are both found in the UN headquarters in New York. However, the International Court of Justice is in The Hague in the Netherlands, and is the only one of the six main bodies of the UN to be outside New York. The court is composed of 15 judges who are elected for terms of office of nine years by the United Nations General Assembly and the Security Council. The other three main bodies are the Economic and Social Council, the Trusteeship Council and the Secretariat. The UN is heralding the 2020s as their decade of action. So what exactly is it that they're working on? The 17 Sustainable Development Goals, or SDGs for short, were set out in 2015 and follow on from and build upon the eight Millennium Development Goals which the UN set out in 2000. The Sustainable Development Goals call for a global effort to improve the world around us by 2030 through global partnerships and international cooperation. Each week I'll delve into a little detail about one Sustainable Development Goal. This week we're looking at Sustainable Development Goal number one, entitled No Poverty. SDG 1 aims to end poverty in all its forms everywhere by 2030. This includes goals to set up social protection systems and ensure that all men and women have equal rights to economic resources, access to basic services, ownership and control over land, 
and other forms of property, access to natural resources and appropriate new technology and financial services such as microfinance. They also aim to reduce people's exposure and vulnerability to climate-related extreme events and other economic, social and environmental shocks and disasters. So, how close are we to achieving those goals? There has been great progress since 1990, when 36% of the world's population lived in extreme poverty. As this decreased to 16% in 2010 and to 10% in 2015. However, although the decline of global extreme poverty continues, it has slowed down and projections made prior to the COVID-19 outbreak suggested that 6% of the world population will still be living in extreme poverty in 2030, which means it will miss the target set in 2015. Furthermore, although strong social protection systems and government spending on key services often help people to escape poverty, they need to be scaled up further, since in 2016, 55% of the world's population were still not covered by such social protection, and there was also stark variability around the world, with 87% of people in sub-Saharan Africa not being covered by social protection, compared to only 14% in Europe and North America. However, on a more positive note, as of 2019, 67 countries had reported progress in the development and implementation of national and local disaster risk reduction strategies, which is important because disasters such as hurricanes, earthquakes and droughts often lead to a downturn in socio-economic circumstances and exacerbate poverty. So, there is still a lot of work to be done over the next 10 years, but progress is being made. The scope of the United Nations is huge. There are many departments tackling different global issues. So each week I'm shining the spotlight on one department and looking at the work that they do. This week, I want to look at the United Nations Mine Action Service. This department came into being along with the 1997 Anti-Personnel Mine Ban Convention, when it was estimated that it would take a thousand years to clear the landmines which had already been deployed around the world. However, due to the progress made by the United Nations Mine Action Service, it is believed that the clearance of known anti-personnel minefields could be completed within a decade. Throughout the 20th century, landmines were buried in countries across the world. Even after conflicts have ended, unexploded ordnance threatens the lives of the people who live there. They maim many people each year and render swathes of land unusable. In 2015, around 6,500 people were killed or injured by landmines, roughly a third of whom were children. Some estimates suggest that there could be as many as 110 million landmines buried in around 60 countries, with some dating back to the Second World War and their exact locations no longer being known. The five pillars of the United Nations Mine Action Service's mission are as follows. The clearance of mines, reducing the risk of injury from mines and unexploded ordnance by raising awareness and promoting behavioural change through mine risk education, assisting victims of mine accidents, advocating for participation in the anti-personnel mine ban convention and destroying stockpiled landmines. They are currently working in 19 places, including Afghanistan, Cyprus, Colombia and Syria, which shows just how wide-reaching their work is. They have had some great successes. For example, in 2015, after over 2,000 landmines were cleared from 17 million square miles of land, Mozambique was declared free of mines, and 65 countries have now destroyed their stockpiles of anti-personnel landmines. In fact, 
Since 2004, just over a million items of unexploded ordnance and mines have been destroyed and nearly 4 million people have received risk education, which has enabled many people across the world to go about their daily lives without the risk of injury or death from landmines. However, major arms producers such as the United States, Russia and China have retained huge stockpiles of mines, and India, Myanmar, Pakistan and South Korea still manufacture them. With ongoing conflicts, additional mines are still being laid, and an average of five new hazardous areas are discovered each day. But with the United Nations Mine Action Service clearing seven explosive hazards on average daily, they are making great strides towards clearing all known anti-personnel minefields within a decade or so, which is really exciting. This has been a busy week for International Days. These days aim to raise awareness of a particular global issue, and if any of these topics really pique your interest, then I encourage you to look into them further, as that is exactly the aim of declaring International Days in this way. Wednesday the 20th of May was World Bee Day. To raise awareness of the importance of pollinators, the threats they face and their contribution to sustainable development, the global food supply and the elimination of hunger in developing countries. We can do our bit for bees by planting a diverse range of native plants in our gardens which flower at different times of the year, avoiding pesticides, fungicides or herbicides in our gardens and the easiest of all is to make a bee drinking fountain by leaving a bowl of water outside. Thursday the 21st of May was both International Tea Day, which aims to draw attention to the fact that tea can play a significant role in rural development, poverty reduction and food security in developing countries, since it is one of the most important cash crops because it is the world's most consumed drink after water. And it was also the World Day for Cultural Diversity for Dialogue and Development. This day aims to draw attention to the fact that bridging the gap between cultures is urgent and necessary for peace and stability and development, since three quarters of the world's major conflicts have a cultural dimension. Friday the 22nd of May was the International Day for Biological Diversity, which is important for raising awareness and educating the public about the human threat to many animals and plant species, since biodiversity is an incredibly valuable global asset. And yesterday, Saturday the 23rd of May, was the International Day to End Obstetric Fistula, which is an injury sustained during childbirth, which is largely avoidable and in 90% of cases treatable, and yet over 2 million women and girls in sub-Saharan Africa, Asia, the Arab region and Latin America and the Caribbean are living with this injury. So this International Day hopes to draw attention to this and spur on change to reduce the rate it occurs at and to increase the proportion of people who receive treatment. So what has been discussed at the UN this week? As before, if any of the things I mentioned particularly catch your attention, then you can hop on the UN Web TV website and watch the meetings in full. On Tuesday, there was a discussion about how the current coronavirus pandemic will affect conflict dynamics and mediation, which is something I hadn't considered before watching the meeting. They warned that COVID-19 has the potential to disrupt humanitarian aid flows, peacekeeping operations and mediation efforts, and could result in new areas of instability, because terrorist organisations and violent non-state actors might take this as a window of opportunity. On Thursday, there was a meeting about the threat of locusts, which have already caused problems in the Horn of Africa, spreading to southwest Asia and Africa's Sahel region. This crisis, considered one of the worst of its kind in decades, has been unfolding since January. But there have been successes, 
including 720,000 tons of cereal being saved thanks to measures to limit the spread of locusts. However, recent heavy rains have created ideal conditions for the pest reproduction, which they worry will lead to an increase in adult locusts in June, just as farmers begin to harvest their crops, and an increase in the number of countries affected. On Thursday, there was also a meeting in partnership with the BBC to mark International Diversity Day, which I mentioned earlier. And it included the BBC's Director General, Tony Hall, and the United Nations Deputy Secretary General, Amina Mohammed. They discussed how to ensure diversity and inclusion is at the heart of plans to recover better from the COVID-19 pandemic, with a specific focus on media and creative industries. Amina also spoke about the importance of radio during the current pandemic. Throughout the week, there were also meetings about the situation in Syria, Palestine, Libya, Venezuela, Somalia and Africa and the Middle East more generally. That's all from me for now, but join me next week for more UN Insights and News. See you then! Ashling's UN Insight, a weekly look at the work of the United Nations. Radio.